So I want to jump in. You guys, there's a little uh, picture of my family in your book. That was, uh, that was taken, uh, actually, that's, that picture is actually at like a couple years old. They asked me for a picture and it's like getting a picture of our whole family together is like a rare solar eclipse happening, like to get everyone in one place at one time. Uh, Sarah Cannon, you, you know about that, where Sarah, you've got, yeah, you know all about that big family. So, um, so yeah, this, one of the things that um, I pray for my kids every single night uh, before they go to bed, you can hear me saying these words, praying these words over them from Psalm 23. I pray Psalm 23 over them in, in one shape or another, and, and I always end with this, God, lead them in a path of righteousness for your name's sake. And there's this metaphor in the Bible of, of the path. The path of righteousness. Stay on the path. Even the idea of, of Galatians 5 where it talks about the Christian life where it says keep in step with the Spirit. Like literally, like one foot in front of the next, like following the Spirit. And here's the problem, okay? I don't know about you, but like we, I wake up prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. It's like I wake up every day and I'm like off in the weeds, you know? I'm like veering off the path. And, and life, you know, it's like, it's like I wake up and I'm like, ah, I wonder what the weather's like outside. Boom. <laughs> and thus my day begins, right? On uh, uh, some kind of device or how about just walk out and see what the weather's like today? No, it's like I've got an app for that. Why would I go outside? And like thus begins my, my life and, and the distractions. And, and, and here's, here's that, that's a real problem. And here's why we retreat because we want to stop long enough to he- just to hear the voice of God. We want to create sacred space in our lives. And I've got a lot of memories in, in Minnesota. This is like a, a special place for me because my friend, uh, one of my best life friends, Joe Kufal, had a cabin up here. And, and one of these stories is uh, we were leaving his cabin. It was 4th of July. Um, I'm like a junior, senior in college, and um, we're leaving his cabin, and my friend Joe got, he had just gotten engaged, so we were really excited, and, and he and his fiance got these little kittens they were, they were taking care of, these little baby kittens, and so we put them in a, in a little box, you know, had their own little play place in this box, and holes, and you know, it was all safe, they were, we put them in the trunk, you know, because they... They can't ride with us in the car because I'm allergic to cats. Put them in the trunk. And so I've got my friend Jeff. He's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. And Joe and Amber uh, are in the back. And we're driving home. It's 4th of July traffic going home because 4th is done. So it's like 5th or 6th of July. We're driving home back to Ames. And it's like bumper to bumper traffic. I'm in the passenger seat doing my, you know, working on math homework or whatever, and, and my friend Jeff's in the front, and he kind of was one of these dudes, he, he drives like, y- you know, got his seat kicked back just a little bit, got his, got his hat on, and uh, he's starting to like drift off a little bit. I'm like, Jeff, you good? He's like, oh, I got this, I got this, I'm good. And so we're, we're got, he's like got it on cruise control going about, I don't know, 78, 80 miles an hour down Interstate 35 South, boom. And I'm just, Joe and Amber in the back sleeping. I'm doing my, my math homework and all of a sudden I look up 
and Jeff is out. He's asleep, and we are like headed into the ditch. We start, and this just the moment I realize we are going into the ditch. 80 miles an hour, cruise control on, and all of a sudden, grass. We're flying. I'm like, Jeff, wake up! And and I just am like screaming at him. He's like, ah! And at this time, everyone in the car just Joe opens his eyes and screams, "Oh shit!" You know, and 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 then Amber was like. She had just become a Christian. She's like, we're, Joe and I are in a fraternity together. She was in a sorority. She's like so lost. She just got saved like a few weeks before that or whatever. And she like in the middle of that's like, Joe, like you don't want the swear word to be your last word before you meet Jesus, Joe. And he's like screaming, ah, the bad. no. Jeff pulls it back onto the road. We go flying out of the interstate. Two wheels this way two wheels this way and we do a 360 in the middle of interstate 35 and I mean just you just hear the tires are screeching we're flying and I don't know how I I mean all of our parents we have parents and grandparents that pray for us God love them because the angels were like you know oh no how we didn't flip and roll I have no idea to this day but we are 360, I remember 4th of July, traffic, bumper to bumper, and by the grace of God, all of a sudden we, we come to a stop, and we're facing the wrong direction on Interstate 35, and all of a sudden, in that moment of silence, we hear something, meow, <laughs> the kittens, oh no, the kittens are in the trunk, hurry, start the car, get going, it's like, who cares about the kittens, we almost died, and they're like, no, the kittens, you know. So, so we pull off to the side of the road. We get the car off to the side of the road. And I have no idea how, like, traffic had, like, stopped for, like, a, a half mile behind us. We had time to, to get off the road. I mean, God had orchestrated the whole thing to save our lives and the kittens. And so we get out. We pop the trunk. We get the box. The kittens are strewn all over the back of the trunk. <laughs> They're covered in poop. We're like, apparently kittens, when they get scared, poop themselves. Okay, so they're covered in poop. And um, all right, so here, we're going we're gonna, to um, bring this back. So, okay, the path, the path, the path. And so the path. And, and isn't, this, isn't this so much of what our lives is like? We're like, our lives are, I mean, 80 miles an hour in the ditch. And, and sometimes like the the still small voice of God is like somewhere in the trunk. And, and all of a sudden, we just stop for a moment. We stop. And we can hear that just, and God doesn't say, meow, but I, you know, the, whatever the voice of God sounds like. It's, like. it's like just in that quiet, we hear the voice of God, and that is why we're here. Because some of your lives, my life, it, it feels like we're just, maybe we've just drifted off. And, and maybe God's not in the front seat. Maybe he's, and, and this is our chance to stop. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to do a little exercise before we, before we jump in. And I want to read something to you. And I, I want you to close your eyes and just, let me just, in this attitude of prayer, 
We're going to start our retreat in this way. To stop. To pause. Psalm 46.10, it says, um, be still. Cease striving. And know that I am God. 1 Kings 19. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah's in a, a desperate place. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Just stop right there. I just want it with your eyes closed, an attitude of prayer. God wanted to take Elijah out to this mountain so he could have a moment of silence. And he came in a gentle whisper. This weekend is, I believe God wants to speak to you. In this moment of silence, I just want you to, to have just a, a simple conversation with God. Just say, God, I'm here because I, I, I want to, I want you to speak to me, Lord. Just invite him to speak to you. And ask him that you would have the listening ears to hear the still, small voice of God this weekend. Just invite him to speak. servants are listening. Speak. Just 
Jesus, you know the chaos in our lives. You know the anxiety that's in this room. You know the sadness. You know the fear. You know the guilt. You know the joy. And you are here to speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, um, open it up to Ephesians. We're going to be spending some time in, in the book of Ephesians this for the next three, next three sessions, uh, tonight, tomorrow morning, and tomorrow night. So last night, um, I had a conversation with Rob, the sound guy. Uh, over on campus before Salt Company, he was doing, uh, doing helping us out with the, the tech stuff. And, and Rob's uh, an agnostic. Uh, he doesn't know if there's a God. He doesn't like the word agnostic, but calls himself more spiritual, doesn't know what he believes. And I, I asked him the question, I said, Rob, what's your hope? And he's like, well, my hope is that humanity will evolve uh, to an enlightened state where we will no longer uh, do the things that we do as a species. And I was like, okay, so you feeling pretty hopeful after last week? <laughs> kind of a rough week for our evolutionary progress, wasn't it? And uh, he's like, yeah, it was, it was a rough week. And I don't, I'm not very hopeful right now. And, you know, I, just thinking about the, the problems and, and brokenness in our world and the divisions and, and all of the things that, that separate us and polarize people groups and into tribes, you know, and, and, and I think about all the problems that are, that are out there, and, but the problems aren't just like out there, like it's not just on the news, it's, it's the problems that we face uh, even in our own families, even in our own lives, not just like mass shootings out there, but, but, but trials in our own families, problems like uh, my family, for uh, instance, we had a family vacation and you know, family vacations are supposed to be awesome. We're at this cabin. And at one point, kids are fighting. Things are just falling apart. And one of my sons says, like, the worst thing that's ever been said about our family that I can remember. He said, Dad, through tears. He's like, I just want to go home. He goes, I feel like our family is like public school. And I was like, oh, no. That's like the worst thing, you know. Like, why does everyone have to fight and and always causing trouble, and always yelling, and never content, and then, you know, and then I, I, it's not just like, you know, there's, there was our family vacation, the other night we're doing a scripture memory verse at, at the table, and so we're doing love your enemies, right, and pray for those who persecute you, so we're like, so we're going to go around and just pray for someone in your life that's kind of an enemy, someone that's hard for you to love, and, and that was all good until uh, the first kid started, and he's like, Lord, uh, pray for Jet, help him not to be so mean. And they start praying about each other. I'm like, no, no, not each other. I mean, like the people out there, we're all friends, right? And, and here's, what we, here's what we discover. Here's the problem, you guys. Good, that kind of sets up Ephesians. The problem is this. The world is broken. And it's like, it's broken in the deepest places. Not just out there, like, but in here. It's, it's all broken. So what is our hope? Is our hope just like, the evolutionary processes that will happen and bring us science and progress will bring us to this place. Well, uh, we all know that that, that is not going to happen. But 
Here in Ephesians, we find some amazing news. And here's what the news is. Ephesians 1.10, people say this is kind of one of the theme verses of this book, is that God, Jesus, is going to bring all things to unity under Christ. So everything in heaven and on earth is going to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Just like it says under one head, even Christ. Just like your head tells your body what to do, that's what God is going to do with humanity. He's gonna bring us with all our division. He's gonna bring us together under one head, under the unity of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.10, this is another important verse. It says, his intent, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what that passage is saying. God's infinite wisdom is on display in what? In the church. Now, some of us that have had church experiences are like, wow, seems like he could have done a little bit better than that, right? I mean, church, that's the best he could do. I mean, I've had a lot of gnarly experiences with church and people fighting and hurting each other and church splits and church blah, 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 and, and all of that stuff. But, but Paul is saying in Ephesians that, that the church is the manifestation of God's infinite wisdom. It's his wisdom on display. And this weekend, we're gonna see why and how that is, that the church becomes the display of God's infinite wisdom. So here's where we're going. This weekend is about life together. That's the church. It's us, the called people of God, being a community of God. It's this is where we're going. This weekend is about life together, the church. So here it is. Church is God's new society of people and three things, and these are our three talks. So that's kind of the overarching. Church is God's new society of people, one, and this is tonight, saved by grace. Two, adopted in love, that's tomorrow morning. And three, called to holiness, and that's Saturday night. Church is God's new society of people saved by grace, adopted in love, called to holiness. Tonight, we're gonna talk about the first one, saved by grace. In 1998, uh, I fell in love with the book of Ephesians. And so I was, had this little Bible and I just cut it out I just ripped the pages out of the book because I'm like, I, I want to take that book with me everywhere I go. And so I, I ripped it out and I taped it so I could get wet and everything. And so, so pretty much this book has gone with me everywhere I've gone since 1998. And it's gotten to the point where I don't have to have it because I just know it. And, um, and if, you, if you fall in love with God's word, I would just encourage you, like if you find something you love, like just, just, just get it like, and put it in your soul and nobody can ever take it away from you. And so Ephesians 1, I want to just uh, share it with you. 
All right, so here's how it begins. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. In order that I lost it there. Adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring everything in heaven and on earth in unity together under one head even Christ in him we have also been chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature objects, objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. 
even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is probably the clearest summary of the gospel that you will find in the entire scriptures. I want to look at those in more detail. The way the book of Ephesians is set up, and, and if you're new to the Bible, it's a, Ephesus is a city in modern day Turkey uh, near Istanbul. Um, and uh, I think it's, uh, the city's called Izmir. And um, you can go tour Ephesus and all that, but it was written to this church and this church had a, a miraculous beginning. You can read about it in Acts 19 and 20 if you're interested uh, to see the history of this, but, but God landed, like the Holy Spirit came so powerfully and transformed that city that actually put the local idol makers out of business. Um, it was amazing revival that happened there in, in Ephesus. And so Paul's writing this letter to this, this new church. And he kind of breaks it up. The first three chapters are um, all about belief. And, and the structure, it's like all of the verbs are, um, it's, the sentences are st- set up as like indicative statements. You know what an indicative statement is? It's a simple statement of fact. Like you are loved. Like there's nothing to do about that. It's just that's you're chosen, you're loved. God put his love on you. It's, it's indicative. It's just sta- simple statements of fact. The second half Ephesians 4 through 6 is set up like uh, uh, with imperative commands, like action. So first half, belief. Second half, action. So it's like, first half, you are loved. Second half, love, God. Right? It's a command. And so it's kind of a microcosm of the Christian life, like belief and action. The first two talks uh, tonight and tomorrow morning are more the indicative side of it. It's more what to believe. There's really nothing that you have to do in response to these first two messages. So just enjoy the show, right? I mean, it's just like, here it is. This is good news. You really don't have to do anything about it. Just enjoy what God has done. So that's uh, tonight. But, but I wanna um, un- unpack this. He begins, look at chapter two, verse one. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. In the Greek language, it starts off this idea of you being dead. It's like, oh yeah, so about God exalted to the highest place. God placed all things. Jesus exalted. Oh yeah, and about you, dead. Okay, it's like the emphasis on the reality of our condition before God. So there's a few things I want you to write down about the reality of our condition condition. And the first thing is that we are dead. That's what the Bible describes us. Um, After um, the mass shootings in Las Vegas, I heard people saying things like, now we know that love is, is, um, 
I mean, love is what we were uh, created for and love is what we are by nature. And hate is like, there's a few bad, like psychotic people out there that are hateful, but all of us are love and there's just a few crazy people out there. You know, it's like, oh man, I, I love, I think that's well-intentioned. Like we were created for love, true. But, but the Bible says, no, actually we're like in our core, dead. We've got a real problem the first step in God putting us together again, of us coming together as a new society and doing life together is, hey, let's get real about our condition. Like we are dead in our sin. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Okay, and you may have to strap it in for like the next 10 minutes because it actually gets worse. He says we are dead, what? In, our, in your sin, transgressions and sins. So a transgression or a trespass is is like rebellion, right? If someone puts up a sign that says no trespassing and you cross, you look at the sign and you're like, whatever, and you cross over, that's what it's saying about us, like we did with God. It's like God puts up a sign, no trespassing, do not eat from this tree, and we're like, whatever, and we just go and we do it anyway. And it says, and sin, that word sin means uh, so if you think of trespass as like total rebellion, sin is like failure. Hey, I want you to hit this target and we completely miss the mark. That's what sin is. And so Genesis 2 said, uh, here's what's gonna happen. If you eat this tr- from this tree, you will surely die. Well, they ate the fruit. Did they die? Like their heart was still beating. So what happened? They died spiritually and that is the condition of every man, of every woman, of every child that's ever been born post Adam and Eve is that we are born, as Paul says here, dead in our transgressions and sins. So um, think about this picture and, and it's, it's kind of morbid, but if you were to like have a conversation with a corpse, how responsive would it be? It's like, that's not gonna work, right? You can't have a relationship with the dead body, right? And that's the condition of us with God. Like he cannot have relationship with us because we are, we are as Paul says, dead in sin. And so I know that like, I've, I've heard people say this when they're sharing the gospel, like, like God, tonight, God is just throwing out a life raft to you. Here it is, Jesus. All you have to do is reach out and grab onto the life raft. Here's the problem with that. Like dead bodies can't grab onto life rafts. They're dead, okay? If God throws you a raft tonight, it's just gonna bump up against you, right? You, you have no power to, to grab onto it because that is our condition. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. It actually, so number one, we're dead. Number two, verse two, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So we are dead, one, we are two, slaves, Slaves, slaves to what? Slave to the world, one. Slaves to the world. What does he mean by the world? Ephesians 2, 2, this guy J.B. Phillips translates it this way. You were spiritually dead all the time that you drifted along on the stream of this world's ideas of living. Remember how we talked last night about how the, the current of culture is like, it's, it's like a lazy river. It's like a current that's just going and everyone's floating along this lazy river. I mean, just you just picture a raft, 
sunglasses, beer, floating along, just doing whatever you want to do. I was in a fraternity and like I saw it firsthand. It's like college life. If it feels good, do it. If it tastes good, drink. That's what you do. And the world's just kind of floating down this river, Paul says, the ways of this world. And we were following it. Like we were just floating down the lazy river. Now, if you combine number one, dead corpse, and with number two, lazy river, it gets kind of morbid. It's like a walking dead episode at the Wisconsin Dells, you know, lazy river style, right? It's like floating down. I don't know what that episode would look like. I mean, it just gets... It gets kind of nasty, but humanity is like a bunch of zombies floating down a lazy river. And he says, and he goes on, he says, and you were um, slaves in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's not working those who are disobedient. Okay, so we are dead, one. Number two, we are enslaved. Enslaved to what? Enslaved to the world. Enslaved to the devil. The kingdom of the air. In Greek, it's like dark fog. Satan has like this, this dominion over this earth and he's like operating the lazy river. He's like the jets blowing the current, right? And he says in verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. So one, dead. Two, slaves. Slaves to what? The world the devil, and our own sinful desires. That's not a very happy picture of humanity. These desires that we have, these desires that we are enslaved to are, are destructive to us. These desires of, I, I always want more. I can give my child a can of pop, one of my kids a can of pop. And if I give the next one, I give one a little can of pop. He's like, oh, thank you, dad, that's so nice. And then I give the next one a 32 ounce. It's like, wait, I want that one. <laughs> you know, or, or I give one a Twix and the other, like a Snickers or something. It's like, I wanted that one. It's like immediately, like, I want what you have. Like what I have was not enough. I gotta have what you have. And this, this desire of like more money. I need, I, I might be famous. I might have a lot of followers, but I need more followers, right? Than, than that person. Or, or we judge our life by likes and, and how many people comment and how many people, how many friends we have. And it's like, we, we want more and we want to be known. We wanna be famous, we wanna be significant. We want to feel good. In a marriage, it's amazing to me how, how before a couple gets married, it's like can't keep their hands off each other. And then when they get married, it's like can't get them to come together, right? I mean, it's like you always want what you can't have and shouldn't have. And how that works, it's Paul is saying, that's our condition. Like it's jacked up. We're messed up. We're broken in the deepest place possible. And we're going to unpack this a little more tomorrow night, but this idea of being a slave to our desires and thoughts, you know, this world is saying, yeah, that's true. Uh, You're not a slave to it, though. It's like, that's who you are. That's your identity. Like, what you desire, that does define who you are. 
Um, I've got a friend who, who I met a couple years ago. He started coming to our church, and he's a Christian man. Uh, he's married. He has kids and grandkids. He's a Christian man, and he happens to be attracted to other men. And so he was talking to me about his struggle. And he said, I, I saw a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist drew a line on the paper. And she said, here are your choices. Number one, you can separate from your wife, and you can live out your true identity. Or you can tell your wife, I want to have an open relationship and pursue your true identity. Or you can be miserable and live with your suicidal thoughts the rest of your life and just be trapped if you refuse to accept your DNA and who you are and what you desire. And Paul is saying, that is exactly how the world thinks. And it's actually true that if you're not a Christian, like you are a slave to your desires and thoughts. And that's what your life looked like before Jesus Christ. And so that's the picture. And he, he, it, it, as if it can't get worse than being dead, slaves, it actually gets worth, worse. And he drops this bomb in the end of verse three. Like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath. So number one, we are dead. Number two, we were enslaved to the world, the devil, the flesh. And number three, we stand condemned. Hebrews 9.27 said, it is appointed for man to die once and then to face judgment. All of us are going to stand before a holy God someday. And you know, it was interesting as people were watching the solar eclipse. Um, I'm sure everyone saw the solar eclipse, right? It was this uh, amazing event, kind of a once in a lifetime thing and everyone's out there with their glasses and I don't know if you got a very good view in Minneapolis. We got a pretty good view where we are in Iowa and, and everyone's out there with their glasses and here's the thing. Everybody, I mean, it's all over the news. Everyone's like, don't look at the sun. Whatever you do. Like, don't look at the sun. You'll burn your retinas. If you look at the sun for a second, you will burn your eyeballs and be blind. And they even interviewed this guy. He's like 60 years old. He's like, yeah, when I was 20, I looked at this solar eclipse and I've been blind ever since. They're like, don't be him, right? Don't stare at the sun. You guys, listen to this. We can't even stare at the sun for one second without burning our retinas. And the sun is 92 million miles away. How do we think that we're just going to casually stroll up into the presence of God and be like, yo, I'm here. I mean, the sun is 92 million miles away. God made the sun. And there are millions and billions of suns out there that God created. And do you think God is brighter than the sun or less bright than the sun? You 
someday. It, it makes sense that people in the Bible fall as though dead before God when they come into his presence. It's no wonder that God said, I can't show you myself, Moses, I'm gonna hide you behind the cleft of the rock. There's a reason that people cannot come into the presence of God and it's all of those reasons and look at verse four because some of you might be wanting to get in your car and go back home because this is like, good morning sunshine, right? It's raining, we got hellfire and brimstone, can we just move on? Here it is, four, listen to this. Listen to this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus. In chapter one, he says, he says, the same power that was exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead now is in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what we call being born again, dead people coming to life. You guys, our condition doesn't require therapy and behavior modification. Our condition requires a resurrection. And it's been said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus doesn't want you to leave a better person than when you came. Nicer more caring, more loving. Jesus didn't die on the cross and conquer the grave so that you could leave a better person. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Jesus doesn't throw you a life raft and say good luck. He pulls you out. Verse five, he made us alive with Christ. He did it. And why did God do this, verse seven? In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There was a, uh, a Japanese kid, guy who came to know Jesus um, a while ago and, and he got baptized. And in his baptism, he was, he was sharing his testimony. And I'll never forget it. He's like, God is so nice. I'm like, that's the wrong word. God's not nice. It was like, I was like, wait, he's right. <laughs> God is so nice. Like, this is amazing what God has done for us. Like, he has brought us to life. He has made dead people alive. And that is who we are. This new society that God is bringing together. He's not just giving us the right political opinion so that we'll all be unified Jesus didn't come to bring a philosophy. Jesus didn't hand us a book on how to, like, here's your five steps or whatever. No, Jesus came and he brought us himself. 
And he said, follow me. So I want to just ask this question to, to land this tonight. And I want us to wrestle through this because you can see the, it's, it's like whiplash between verses one through three and four to seven, uh, four to eight. Um, and, and it's just this question. Um, Ephesians 2 in the gospel confronts us with something. Because some of you are like, this wasn't my grandma's kind of church, right? This, I don't know if I've heard this stuff before. Um, this is like, you're saying that like people die and go to hell if they don't know Jesus. And that, that Ephesians 2 stuff, that, that's what children of wrath, what, what is this? In the gospel, we are confronted with two realities about God. A God of wrath and a God of indescribable love. And my question is, how can both of those things be true? How can you have a God of wrath and a God of love? And, and we see it in, in that example of the, of the son that sin and evil, listen, evil is God's glory under attack. God creates this beautiful world and he creates us for human flourishing. And it's, it's beautiful, it's good, everything that God made is good and evil is an attack on the beauty and the glory of God. And so wrath is God's response to that which he hates to defend that which he loves. Did you get that? Wrath is God's response to that which he hates to defend that which he loves. And if God does not defend what he loves, then he is not a God of love. Let me just try to land with this um, story. So to try to bring these things together. So um, I have a friend. My friend is a, his name's Kurt. He, he was in the military, first responder. Uh, he like saves people's lives for a living. That's what he does. And, and I've been to Kurt's house, good life friend. Uh, we grew up together and he has a lot of guns. Now, I don't know what you think about guns. I don't wanna, you know, uh, this is not, I'm not making any political statements about guns or whatever, but I'm just saying. Like he has guns and he owns a Doberman Pinscher. Have you ever seen those dogs? Like you don't wanna mess with those dogs. They're scary. I'm afraid of the dog if Kurt's not around. This Doberman Pinscher will defend uh, Kurt's house. Kurt is married and they just had a baby girl. And I want you to imagine this picture. Kurt is a great human being, like he saves lives for his job and he protects people he loves. I want you to imagine his wife is pushing the baby down the stroller and she's getting close to the house and a thief comes, someone that's going to come and assault his wife and his child. She sees this person coming. She starts running toward the house. Kurt sees what's happening. The dog sees what's happening. Now, let me ask this question. What should the thief expect
What should the thief expect to receive as he's robbing Kurt's house? What's he going to get? Now, here's what's important. In one act of Kurt defending his home and his wife and his child and everything that he loves that belongs to him. Okay, not wife's not his property. I'm just saying, like, his things he loves. Okay, that was, could have taken that the wrong way. In one act, Kurt is simultaneously expressing his wrath and his love. And it depends on which side of Kurt you are on as to which one of those you experience. So I ask you, which side of God are you on? And here's what I want to tell you. We are born intruders of God's beautiful world. And I was once an intruder of God's beautiful world. I could tell you about the time in fifth grade when I would beat up this kid with special needs in fifth grade in the bathroom. And I look at that and I'm just horrified by the person that I was, the angry little 11-year-old. I could tell you about the time I was sexually immoral and violated this, this girl that, that God loves, this beautiful girl that God loves that, that I violated. I could tell you about this guy in seventh grade that depanced him in front of all these girls and, and it just completely destroyed his, his junior high and high school experience and, and, and that was me. And I was attacking God's glory and his beautiful world and here's what God did. He, he actually sent his son to take the wrath that I deserved. And that's what happened on the cross. That all of your sin was placed on Jesus and he absorbed his own punishment. The, pun or the punishment that you deserve was put on Jesus. And that's why Paul says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So I just wanna, I just wanna end by asking like, have you ever come to the place in your life where you transferred your trust to Jesus Christ? Where you said, Jesus, I need you to save me because I know this is true of my heart, that I'm a sinner, I'm lost. I experience the guilt and I deserve the separation and the judgment of God, but, but through Christ, you tonight, all you have to do is just hold out your hands and say, Jesus, save me. Let's pray.
here's what's amazing. The only place to find refuge from God is in God. And I just want to encourage you that, um, and just kind of ask, I guess just ask you the question, like, where, where are you with God? Have you ever been made alive in Christ? Have you ever come to the place where you, you have confessed your sin and held out your hands and just say, Jesus, I, I acknowledge my sin and I wanna receive your forgiveness and your grace that I wanna, I wanna be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ that was given for me. This weekend, um, we're, just, we're just gonna talk more about the love of God this inexpressible, incomparably great gift that God has given us. We're gonna talk more about it, but, but tonight I just wanna invite you, if you've never transferred your trust to Jesus Christ, maybe tonight, I just want, want you to think about it. Would you consider giving your heart to Jesus and saying, I am yours. I wanna be forgiven, I wanna receive grace.